podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. It may be increasingly snowy out there today, but I've assembled a panel of esteemed guests to help warm things up. I'm Tom Holmes and joining me as ever is my wonderful co-host Leanne Prescott. Leanne, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, You know, the cold doesn't stop the Writers Podcast. Unfortunately, it has given me a bit of an illness, um, but, you know, trust me to be the one to pick that up out of the two of us. Uh, But yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yep, all good down my end. Uh, may or may not get off work tomorrow because of the snow. We shall see, but I was in today. Um, and joining myself and Liam, we've got two fantastic guests. We've got Joe Norton and Ash Hebbs. So, Joe, we'll start with you. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, Tom. Just about staying warm, staying warm in the house. Yeah, definitely not a night to be going outside. And Ash, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on again. An absolute pleasure. And we will start with you, Ash, because you've written an absolutely cracking article on uh the pressing and uh, uh we as you know uh anfield uh index is famous for under pressure which is obviously the one of the biggest podcasts out there and uh, they did some really interesting stats on liverpool's xg from pressing and ash took on the task of having a look at some of those pressing stats and seeing how they compare to various other aspects of our play and to various other teams so ash i'll let you take it away because it's a really good article and um, just give us your kind of overall thoughts what you made of the what you made of the stats what your conclusions you were looking to draw from them and uh, any discussion points that you think are relevant coming out of the article yeah, thank you, Tom. Um, yeah, the main, main purpose of the uh, article was to look at the pressing and just to just to talk about it a little bit. Um, it, it's definitely been a big factor in our recent upturn in form since the famous Spurs defeat at Wembley. So I think for, from my perspective, I was just looking at, you know, obviously the guys at UP have done a great job of giving us all this data uh, to look at. Um, but also Understat's been a superb new addition um, in terms of looking at football statistics and looking at statistics in different ways. And, and with the pressing, um, while it's been very successful for us, and we've, we've spoken about this theme before on the pods um, in previous previous occasions, but my, my concern with the pressing was really when teams don't want to come out and play against us, it doesn't leave a huge amount of opportunity to press. Um, although there are pressing opportunities in the game, um, what tends to happen when there's a deep block, there's very little space within which to operate, and then it comes down to really just how good the team is on the ball. And with the ball rather than without the ball and forcing mistakes. Um, so one thing that's been kind of troubling me, I mean, you know, we're looking pretty good for, for top four spot. I think it's fair to say we, you know, we're probably the form team in the league without a question of a doubt at the moment. Um, but looking longer term, I was thinking, well, you know, we have struggled and we've dropped a lot of points, drawn a lot of games this season. And a lot of those drop points have come, come against teams that employ the low block and don't really want to play against us. Um, and I've spoken before about how Klopp struggled in Germany towards the latter latter part of his tenure in Dortmund um, and you know the park bus was a problem for him and I think it's been a problem you know most of during most of his time at Liverpool to be fair uh, but it seems as if we're turning the corner a little bit now just as we're adding quality to the squad and um, you know people like Mo Salah probably for me know even Sadio Mane now picking up form everyone's doing really well and just just raising their level 
and that's not just them, but the, the whole team. The level just seems to be increasing all the time. Uh, so my, so my, my main question, and I put this on the uh, the Facebook group actually for those of the uh, the uh, AI Pro subscribers will have seen. Uh, and one of the questions I was trying to get the answer to is, yeah, the pressing has been really good for us, and you know we've been seeing some phenomenal stats recently, as you all know. Um, but is the pressing doing enough for us? So when teams do sit deep, is there enough space to actually employ a pressing game? And is Jurgen Klopp, you know, emphasising the pressing game too much? Uh, so I dipped into Understat, and uh, people that have read the article will have seen I've looked at different analyses on there. But one useful thing I came across on Understat was the game state. Um, and just looking at when the goal difference in the game is zero, i.e. the scores are tied in the game. I thought that would be a useful place to start looking as to whether underlying attacking performance, with or without the press, because the underlying performance will include pressing and non-pressing actions. Um, and actually, it threw out some quite pleasantly surprising results. So whereas I thought, you know, maybe we're struggling against the parked bus or when the game's level and there's not much space and, you know, uh, opportunity to, to create chances, actually the team is doing very well. Um, still lagging a little bit behind Man City, both defensively and offensively, um, as the graphs in my article show. But, you know, we're giving the Man City an elite team at the minute and, you know, really setting new levels in the Premier League. We're not too far behind and that's very encouraging considering this team's still a work in progress. OK, so some really interesting stuff there, um, Ash. Joe, before we go into anything specific, I'll just give you the chance to sort of respond to Ash's article. Anything that you particularly picked out that you thought was really interesting or any conclusions you drew from it which were really interesting, and just sort of your general impressions of the article. Yeah, I thought it was a really good article. Ash has gone into some great, great detail, obviously, going on from some of the brilliant work that's been done, done under the pressure. I think we all know, or we all think we know how effective the press is, but the work they've, they've sort of done, done this really does emphasise sort of how how impressive it has been, uh, sort of just to reel off a few of the statistics. 14.9% of our expected goals came from presses. We've got a uh, shot conversion, which is almost double the efficiency uh, from own shots from non-pressing compared to pressing, which is which is brilliant. And then in terms of sort of potential uh, percentage of big chances we're creating from pressing, we create 21% and from non-pressing 16%. So it really does go to show that what we all sort of thought we could see was happening uh, was happening. I think Ash has gone into great detail, and I love the work he's done sort of on the game stage because I do think that there's sort of a preconceived view that when the game perhaps has opened up uh, a bit more um, when we've sort of got a lead or got a two-goal lead, then sort of the, that's when the pressing really comes to the forefront. But the uh, Ashes work shows that it's not just it's not just when the sort of the games the game sort of already won that the pressing's really taken taken on another emphasis. It is when the game's tight and we need we need a goal or to break down the defence. Uh, in some way, then the press is really beneficial from this. So I thought thought it was a great article. I think one other thing, just before we just before I go to Leanne, one thing I found really interesting from the article was that as a result of our pressing, we tend to end up giving away a lot more XG when we're we're leading by three or four goals because we've kind of the the press almost kicks into a point where we are taking more risks, which makes a lot of sense three or four goals up. But it is quite interesting how actually we tend to concede. A lower XG. We tend to concede a lower XG when we're actually in the games at a level state rather than a, 
a higher state, which is kind of interesting because you would think because there will be a lot of teams where once they go two or three goals up, they won't concede many chances because they'll be shutting down the game. We're just not one of those sides. Um, so, yeah, I'll jump to you, Leanne. Um, any in particular stats or anything you want to raise that hasn't already been raised about the article or just your general impressions? Yeah, so, you know, as, as has been said, I thought it was a really interesting article and a really, really deep take on, on this pressing system. And uh, We all know the importance and the overall impact of Bergen pressing since Jurgen Klopp has, has taken over at Anfield, but this really emphasises it. And one of the stats that really stood out for me was this 22.4% of our actual goals have come due to this press, and that just hones in how good it's been in, in terms of forcing oppositions into mistakes high up the pitch, you know, using your Roberto Caminos, your Mohamed Salas, your Sadio Mane, just to put the pressure on the opponents and, and force them into these errors. Um, and everyone's buying into that ethos at the moment. That's sort of the first thing you're asked to do when you come through that door and you move to Liverpool. We've seen Oxley chamberlain become part of it as well. Um, and, and other signings, Robertson even doing it from the back, who we'll come on to later. Uh, but, you know, it's that it's that team image. It, it's not just the three people at the top of the pitch. It's everywhere. It's it's relentless. Um, and there's been no signs of it, sh- it slowing down over, over a very, you know, um, congested period over the last few months and, and especially at Christmas. So I think that the main take is that this press orientated system that the Klopp has, has got us playing it is hugely beneficial in the, the chance conversion, the shot conversion, the the overall impact of it is absolutely astounding. Um, you know, I'm not a big XG person. I, I don't really tend to use it in my articles. But, you know, even for me, this was sort of really putting the the emphasis on just how good this system is and, and how well it's working for Liverpool. Um, OK, so we'll jump back to you, Ash. So the stats, the numbers, Ash, would seem to indicate that um, in terms of goals and assists, which is kind of what we're looking at here, Yes, the player, yes. the player who is benefiting the most from our system, is Mo Salah, and I mean that might seem obvious to a lot of people, but the numbers really do illustrate that Salah is clearly not just overperforming, but he is at a level where what the press is allowing him to do is allowing him to get in positions to create chances and score lots of goals. So, what did you make of? Uh, I'm just going to mention one. You know, I'm just going to go to one specific section of the article that wasn't necessarily been covered so far, which is how are individual players stack up compared to the rest of the league because if you look at the graph um if you take out man city we really are clear second choice in terms of in terms of the numbers on that scale aren't we we are we are and i think that's what's so encouraging tom i think um just as a general theme i think what what it's emphasized this article for me is there's more to our game than pressing now i mean the non-pressing side there's still a lot of room for improvement and then this, you know, you get down to this debate about whether can the manager be better tactically? In my opinion, yes, he he can be. But also, also um, the better the squad and the better the players that we can bring in, especially over time, I think, you know, the better calibre player, um, that's where you can really maximise the efficiency of the tactics. But I think even now you can see that Klopp's done such a magnificent job already you know, the players he's got, and despite some of the deficiencies that still exist in the team, you know, midfield isn't the strongest midfield, if we're honest. Defence still needs a bit of work, but I think what the pressing emphasises for me is, um, you know, it's it's resulting in goals, you know, we've scored plenty of goals, and I think the, the biggest advantage of the press this season for me, it enables us to really kill off teams in a way that we weren't doing last season. We've got that counter-attacking threat now with Mane and Salah on both wings. 
um, and it just gives us that base and that variety in our attack. Um, but also defensively, I think it's really helping us defensively. I think that's emphasised by the numbers. And I think it's no surprise then that, um, you know, if you take away Man City and, you know, their players are probably further ahead in the curve, you know, given they've, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, for example, Sergio Aguero, David Silva, they're the, the three standouts. But even, you know, Raheem Sterling, I was quite surprised to see him doing so well. But, you know, these are all fairly established players and are kind of fab three. You know, it's still still a work in progress, to be fair. You know, it's the first season they played together. Um so I think we're doing very well. And I think it bodes well for the future. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, one element that is potentially quite important is our conversion rate when the score is quite low. I mean, you mentioned, obviously, we're, our XG is, the, is comfortably second highest when the game is uh, very, very close. But also our conversion rate is very, very good when, the, um, when, it's, when games are close. And how important, um, Joe, do you think a player of... I'm going to single out Salah again, but how important do you think a player of his quality is in terms of conversion rate when we're looking at these sorts of numbers? Because obviously there are players on our team who are quite clinical as well, but when you're looking at making a difference, XG is only important if you're actually converting it. And how important is someone like Salah coming into our team in terms of turning that overall underperformance, overall underlying performance into, into results? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's obviously vital. I think the, Good thing about Salah, and I think that makes him so effective, is because his movement is so good, and he's got all the physical attributes we need. He's lightning quick, um, and his movement's brilliant. That it means that as soon as we sort of win the ball back from from our counter pressing, and we see a gap that we can, we think we can exploit. Maybe in the past, when we've only had maybe Marne last season, um, who had had pace, who had pace to uh, sort of running behind the defence, and we didn't really have it at all in the Klopp sort of first first season then we've sort of got two two avenues to exploit and whether we've got a gap on the right or a gap on the left whether it's a Salah or Mane they've both got the pace and the directness to um sort of go and go and be clinical and take these chances I think I think that's why they are so clinical is that people people often sort of think that uh Salah could be a bit more clinical with his chances but the reality is if you look at his numbers his conversion rate is very good and uh Ash's statistics also back that up that our conversion rate is is sort of but only topped by City, so it means that players having uh, having the players and profile of Salah and um, Mane have the pace, and then Firmino, who's very unselfish and will uh, won't just shoot shoot for the sake of it, but will look to pass, uh, look to find an opposition who's um, sorry his teammate who's in a better position, and we'll do that. So we are seeing seeing the effects of a uh, of the system and the press, and when you got a guy like Salah. With great movement, all the physical attributes you need, uh, and good finishing, then then you're always going to be in, and for some great great performances, which we've seen this season. I think that it's sort of the the statistics and this table in itself sort of highlight the importance of the likes of Salah and Firmino as well, because as you said, Tom, there's no point having a high xG if you can't convert the chances, and that's very much the case with the likes of Chelsea and Spurs. There, they've got 9.4% conversion, 7.5 conversion. For Spurs, so that yes, they've got a, a relatively good XG higher than the Manchester United. But if you can't convert the chances and you don't have the likes of Mohamed Salah, Roberto Firmino to to get in those positions and actually kill off the chance, then you know it counts for nothing. So it's sort of while it's great and it is a great emphasis of the press orientated style, it's also you know 
it's a good reflection of how clinical we've been this season and how good the Fab Three have been. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, even if you look at Spurs, they're um, even I mean, Harry Kane is one of those players. He's not necessarily a clinical player. I mean, a lot a lot, a lot of people seem to think Kane is a very clinical player. He's not. He's he's just in many ways similar. Salah just gets a load of chances. I mean, Kane's got the hot. I think he's got the highest XG in the Premier League. I'd be absolutely stunned if he didn't. It's nearly it's nearly 24. I mean, he scored 24 goals for a reason. And it's not necessarily, I mean, Spurs are an incredibly creative side. And to an extent, that's kind of what you have to do. If you're a team like Spurs, you've just got to go out there and go, well, we're just going to create a bucket load of chances. We've got players that can do that. He's not like necessarily a, a couple more clinical players. I mean, the two most clinical players in the league, by the looks of it, are actually Aguero and Salah. Um, but on the other hand, as, as Ash argue, argues in the article, you could look at it a different way, which is you could look at it well. Spurs are actually due a bit of good luck. They are actually due to get a few more chances. But you could argue the other way in... Actually, no, you couldn't argue the other way. You could argue the other way with someone like Man United. They are probably due a spell of bad luck, which is quite interesting. But we know what Man United are like. They never actually get that that bad luck roll around to them. Um, So I'll jump back to you, Ash. Is there anything else you were trying to get at in the article that we haven't covered yet? Anything to do with any individual players or anything you wanted to look at comparing Liverpool when they're pressing when they're not pressing? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think uh, what, what we're seeing is, um, although it seems like we're very much pressing orientated, I think we are definitely seeing this season that if you look at the number of shots, you know, non-pressing action shots, you know, it's, it's significantly higher, which you'd, you'd expect. But um, it just feels like, you know, there's a bit more variety to our play now. Um, and I think... You know, a lot of our performance and, and, and the stats are based on, will certainly include, you know, the impact of Phil Coutinho. Now, there's been a lot of debate in the fan base about, you know, just how much are we going to miss him? And to be fair, at the moment, it doesn't feel like we're missing him a great deal. So it'll be quite interesting to see what happens, you know, over time without him. And as we, you know, rejig the midfield in the summer. But certainly you can see, again, going back to the uh, the first graph on the piece, and it's quite encouraging to see, a, you know, Phil Coutinho wasn't necessarily, you know, he's just part of the pack. He doesn't really stand out. Say Salah and Aguero, they really stand out on the graph there. But um, Phil Coutinho is just part of the pack. But I think it's the um, the freedom that it gives the other players now, now that he's gone. I think hopefully I'd like to see over time, you know, uh, Mane and Firmino, their, their numbers start to increase as they take more of um, responsibility in Coutinho's absence. And hopefully some of our midfielders as well, you know, they'll start to, chip in with some goals as well. Um, and I think when once we can get more goals from midfield, um, I think, you know, we'll be quite forced to contend with because a lot of the time in the tight games, especially, you know, we will continue to face the park bus more often than not, um, especially next season. And, and the better we get as a team, you know, we, we will build up a fear factor. So in many ways, teams will just naturally sit back by default. And, we, you know, it's happening already, but... Um, even then, I think it's quite encouraging to see that although teams know what's coming, it's very difficult to stop. We've absolutely battered some teams already this season and hopefully that will continue going into next season as well. Um, so I think, yeah, if we can add the goals from midfield as well going forward and start to see some of our midfielders popping up on those graphs, then, uh, you know, I think especially against the Parks bus, that, that will give us um, far more ammunition as well. And we'll start to, trust, uh, you know, we'll start to turn some of those frustrating draws into wins and I think that's what's really going to push us into title winning contention 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're unlikely to see um, any midfielders on this specific type of graph. I mean, I completely get where you're coming from on that one, just because of the, there aren't really any midfielders on there anyway. I mean, David Silva's the only one, but his stats are just insane because he plays for Man City. Um, yeah, one thing I found really interesting from that graph, actually, is if you look at our different players. So if you look at Salah, for example, his XG is super high. And as a result, so is his XG plus XA. Um, so Salah's getting a lot of chances, and that's why his stats are so high is because he's getting himself in position to get lots of chances his xg um chain is so high because his xgxa is quite high it's very rare that the get the gap for example between Salah's combined xg and xa is very short to his xg chain and just to quickly explain some people who aren't sure xg chain is um the total xg you're involved in per 90 so if so that includes your x your expected goals your expected assists and then any other chances that you create that end up have it end up with an expected goal uh, metric. So you can see that he doesn't tend to be, he doesn't get many hockey assists, for example, or he's not normally a starter in these sorts of moves. He tends to be either the finisher or the one just before the finisher. Whereas, for example, Bobby Firmino has got one of the lowest expected goals on the graph, which to me is kind of worrying because it suggests Bobby's going to score less goals over a period of time than we might want him to and that he is at the moment. But on the other hand, his XG chain is still one of the highest. So it suggests that Firmino, even if he's not contributing in terms of goals, he's going to he is going to consistently contribute in terms of general play. Because, I mean, we, we talked before about how crucial Firmino is to the press. In this sort of thing, you can actually see how he's a sort of player. He'll get a lot of hockey assists, for example. He might get a few assists. But the fact that he's chipping in with goals at the moment is, for me at least, just a benefit. Because if we can keep Salah's XG as high as it is, and Mane's as high as it is, I agree with you about in terms of chipping in goals from midfield. But I think we're in a really good position in that sense of it. Um, so, Joe, yeah, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on some of some of what uh, Ash said and some of what I said there. Uh, and anything else that you wanted to highlight just from the, uh, just any other graphs or anything you wanted to highlight from there? Yeah, I definitely think what Ash said about Coutinho was an interesting one. I think we... Um... Sort of obviously it's all a bit unknown as to how we'd how we'd fare without him. Obviously you could argue we've took a very big chance in terms of how much depth he added to the team with him being able to play in sort of those two positions in midfield and out wide so effectively. But I think what what I said is spot on and it kind of showed on the graph that as brilliant as Coutinho was, um, it was, the difference that he made was really in little moments, either a free kick or scoring a world. It wasn't actually the contribution he made to the system. I think we're seeing that we had, so far losing him hasn't really had too much of an impact in it, or it hasn't at all. We've actually probably improved uh, in some senses. Um, that the midfield is now working sort of as a unit, and the teams all working together as part of a team, and we're now playing to a sort of more of a specific structure, which, which is what Ash has talked about, is how uh, how we're improving our non-pressing game. Is that when when we do have a lot of the ball, we've got to find ways ways for us to um, to score goals and create chances. And I think now that Coutinho's gone, we're seeing a midfield, particularly Milner, I wrote, wrote an article, and I know we discussed it on the uh, on the pod a couple of weeks ago, about his intelligent positioning and how he sort of takes up positions. That means it, it allows Robertson to play slightly higher, which then allow, provides a bit more room for Mane and stretches the opposition defence and makes it a bit more difficult, difficult for uh, opposition teams to defend. So I definitely think Coutinho leave leaving has had a sort of real positive impact on our on our non-pressing game as well and we're starting to see that see that on the pitch and how, how successful we've been since, since he left 
Yeah, and I think this this type of graph, I mean, it, it shows so much in in many ways. And as as Tom said there, Firmino's, um, you know, it, some of his tallies aren't as high as potentially you'd expect, but it shows his overall contribution is much greater than just the goals or assists he gets. It's it's his overall take on the game. And I think if if we're looking back at the last couple of results through the last few months, it's no surprise that it's come in conjunction with such a good relentless pressing system that we've got because teams aren't allowed a moment's thought at the back they're not allowed it in midfield they're not allowed it going forward it's relentless and it pushes those you know chances for the likes of Salah, Mane, Firmino and and, and as the stats show Salah's able to take them, Mane's able to take them and Firmino's able to take them so I think it's really just a, a testament to what Jurgen Klopp has built and as Ash says at the end there you know Man City better watch out because this is a, a really, really positive potential thing for Liverpool. And, and it's only going to get better as Klopp gets more and more time with these players as he gets to bring in players that he wants that can suit this pressing system more and more. I think, I mean, uh, we'll move on from this shortly unless, unless there's anything anyone else actively wants to sort of jump in with. But I think one thing that's interesting that we haven't necessarily brought up yet is that if you look at when the pressing really started to hit the ground running because I mean there was a lot of talk at the start of the season about how the pressing seemed a bit off and how Liverpool weren't pressing as well as they were at the end of last season there was sort of, the sort of there was a real lull in the pressing in the opening sort of third of the season and then the Maribor game that we won 7-0 right before we lost to Spurs was when the pressing sort of came back with a four and then since then Liverpool have been pressing consistently and the results uh, have followed so I think maybe it's it's fair to say this is the first time in Klopp's reign where we've really started to see uh, a connection between the pressing and the results, because there was a lot, it, I think 16, 17, 16, 15, 6, 6, 15, 16, sorry, we saw a lot of Liverpool pressing early, but the pressing not really working in the same way, because obviously 15, 16 wasn't the best season. Last season, we saw some really good results, but I think our pressing was maybe a little bit lower on the whole last season, especially towards the back end. But this season, I think in the last 19, 20, 25 games across all competitions, we're really starting to see how the pressing is integral to this team. We're really starting to see the pressing work as an attacking force, which is something that maybe we haven't necessarily seen come together as a collective whole. So, Ash, I'll let you get the last word on this, unless there's something anyone else desperately wants to say. But what are your overall thoughts and what are your sort of conclusions moving forward? Yeah, I mean, the general conclusions are, it's, you know, things are looking pretty good. And even someone like myself who was looking at where can this team improve, you know, because for, from my perspective, I'm desperate for this team to win the league eventually and sooner rather than later. I mean, I'm not the only one that, that feels that way, <laughs> obviously. But, um, the, you know, I'm looking for, for ways that this team can improve, things that the manager could potentially do better. Although, you know, I, I accept it's always easier to be... Uh, the critic, you know, when we don't know the full details of what's going on. Uh, but certainly, no, I think um, depending on what transfer business we do um, in the summer, I think, you know, things are looking very rosy. So when I when I write that conclusion, Man City better watch out. I think, you know, I do mean that because we've seen, you know, when teams, even Chelsea, for example, I mean, there's different reasons why. But, you know, when, when the team has a superb or kind of uh, unprecedented kind of uh, league campaign, Really impressive league campaign. I mean, last season, Chelsea won 30 league games in winning the title. To repeat that the following season is always very difficult. So I think it wouldn't surprise me to see a slight drop off next season for Man City. And I think, you know, plus you add that, you add to that the improvement that Liverpool could potentially make. You know, uh, you look at the recent signings that Klopp's made. He's not wasteful in terms of his signings. He's really 
looking for the you know top top draw, draw players. So I think I'm really confident, you know, that we can, with a bit of luck in the transfer window, you know, we could really push on and become genuine title contenders. And I think, you know, the pleasing thing for me as well is that, um, as I touched on earlier, although teams know that we're going to press and they know what, what to expect from us, that we're seeing that it's actually very difficult to prepare against. And I think David Moyes was saying something to that effect, if I'm not mistaken, you know, after the uh, the most recent game. He said, you know, it's very difficult to stop and it's a really, you know, we give defenders a torrid time and it's exhausting, you know, the, the way we play, especially for a lot of teams that aren't technically brilliant in this league. You know, it's, it's they can't keep the ball, so they can't play around the press and it's just long ball. We win it back and then it's, you know, it's um, an onslaught again. So I think it's quite encouraging, you know, the way we're just grinding teams down and it's a real sign of once Klopp adds people like Naby Keita and things to the mix, you know, it's it's really this team could be absolutely devastating. So I think, you know, we should all be very excited. Yeah. So sort of as, as we rounded off, there it was a very, very good article from Ash. Um, we'll move on now to Joseph's article. So he's written on Robertson and Moreno this week, sort of discussing uh, recent displays from Robertson and whether it's enough to warrant him being regarded as the new left back at Liverpool. Um, so Joseph, do you want to talk us through your article and your thoughts behind the two? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think we'll, we'll all agree. So over the last last couple of months, we've really seen Robertson come into his come into his own and really start to take on Klopp's ideas and how he wants his uh, how his, how his left back to play. Obviously, when he first came into the team, uh, we sort of all saw glimpses of how how good Robertson could potentially be, but with Farsworth and sort of seeing him swinging in sort of aimless crosses into a into a box that was probably only being occupied by one player. And we haven't really got a particular, particularly good aerial threat. So they were pretty pointless crosses. But it seems as though it's something both him and Klopp have probably worked on on the training ground. And we're now sort of seeing him be a lot more effective in, in Klopp's system. Um, but there's been a lot of talk, and rightly so, uh, the last couple of performances Robertson has put in, particularly away at Porto and then at home against West Ham. I thought it was brilliant, brilliant yet again that perhaps he, he now is Liverpool's first choice. And I think people are probably quite quick to uh, forget how, how good Moreno was at the start of the season. He had one or two shaky games um, at Hoffenheim and the way it's severe, but he he did have a really good good start to the season. I have no doubt that if he would have carried on, then Robertson would have found his, found his sort of time time limited and perhaps might not have developed as fast as he had them. So I thought it'd be sort of an interesting comparison to make between Moreno and Robertson this season, which one, which one is actually sort of performing better. And so sort of I'll just talk through some of the sort of main statistics that sort of stuck out. Uh, so we know Moreno's sort of more of an all-action type of defender. When he sees a sort of opportunity to win the ball, he will win it back. Whereas Robertson's perhaps a bit more conservative. So uh, Moreno averages 2.7 tackles. Tackles per 90, whereas uh, Robertson averages at 1.5, which is sort of what you'd expect. I think both of them are quite effective at preventing their winger from uh, being effective with sort of two different styles. Robertson will sort of buy his time, stay on his feet and make a tackle when the opposition takes a bad touch uh, or he's got support around him, whereas Moreno will try and get in there and uh, make a tackle. Uh, Robertson makes 1.3 interceptions to Moreno 0.8. Uh, aerial duels I thought was a big one obviously we've struggled over the last couple of years with balls into the box from set pieces and open play and uh, Robertson's got above 70% aerial duels which is brilliant for a, for a left back and it's something 
sort of I certainly want want at least one of our fullbacks to be sort of quite dominant in the air. I think Robertson bring, brings that, averaging over seventy percent, winning seventy percent of the aerial duels compared to Moreno down at forty two point eight six. And then sort of the some of the most interesting statistics for me, uh, well, sort of looking in an attacking sense. Obviously, we know we know against a lot of teams in the Premier League, they're going to sit back and play in a low block, so we need a left back to be very effective going forward. And I think we both would all agree that uh, both of them are quite quite adept at going forward, but if you look at the statistics, it, just, it does show how how effective Robertson has become. His XG build-up uh, per 90 is 0.48 compared to Moreno's 0.28. His XG chain is 0.57 compared to Moreno's 0.35. And then his expected, Robertson's expected assists are 0.21 compared to Moreno's 0.05. So we're really seeing that what we're actually seeing on the pitch, which is Robertson perhaps being a bit more deliberate about about his passes and his uh, end product, not just swinging in the aimless crosses. We're now really seeing him play play piercing balls through the opposition's midfield and defensive lines, and his link-up play with sort of Milner, Mane, Firmino, and Salah has really improved over the last last couple of weeks, and the statistics show that. So I think it really does show that if Robertson continues to develop in this way, then we will we will have a really good really good left back on our hands. But I think to say that he is our first choice. Um, and we'll play in sort of pretty much every game from now until the end of the season will be slightly premature because I, th- I honestly think Klopp, Klopp will judge it on a game-to-game basis. Um, so, yeah, I thought thought there was some very interesting statistics there and I think it just sort of proves how how well uh, Robertson has developed over the last, last couple of weeks. Yeah, and you point to the statistics there and they are very sort of um, strange in some ways with, you know, the... Maybe the attacking ones are what we expect in terms of take-ons, but the aerial duels, I wouldn't have expected Moreno to sort of excel in the way he does there. Um, just first of all, as a starting point, Ash, would you talk us through Robertson's recent performances then and, and what you've really noticed with him and his improvement, particularly against Porto, where he was so important for that game, and then West Ham, where he had the most touches on the pitch, uh, bar James Milner. He got a second assist of the season with that cross from Mane's goal as well. So he was heavily involved. And, and what did you make of him down that left-hand side? Yeah, I think he's been excellent, hasn't he, Leanne? I think he's really um, shown that he's learning very fast. You know, Klopp, he took a bit of time to come into the side and partly that was due to Moreno's excellent form. You know, the, uh, you know, it reflected Moreno's own development that he was able to come in as first choice um, at the start of the season. Um, so, yeah, uh, Robertson's done really well. And I think... From a personal point of view, I feel a lot more secure uh, watching Liverpool when, when Robertson's playing at the back. He just seems, he strikes me as a, just a more better defensively. Um, although, you know, there, there isn't a huge amount in it overall. Like, you know, both both players have their different qualities, but um, Moreno are quite, quite hot-headed at times, I think, and he plays on instinct, whereas uh, Robertson, I think he'll look at things and, he you know, if he can avoid making a tackle, he will do and just uh, kind of shepherd a player to the to the side of the pitch or, you know, towards the corner flag if he can, um, rather than committing. Um, but I think that's also, you know, Klopp giving certain instructions about, you know, not giving away sloppy free kicks and things with our, with our defensive record. But no, I think, um, he's certainly learning all the time. It's interesting, actually, um, Joe's comment there actually about whether Klopp plays, you know, he just plays a horses for courses approach. Um, and I suspect he probably will do, but I think for me, uh, Klopp, once he trusts a player, he tends to stick with that player in the first 11. 
And I think we've seen, say, for example, at the centre-backs, um, he keeps chopping and changing Matip and Lovren, which doesn't make sense to me, but maybe suggest that he doesn't trust either of them fully. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what happens at left-back position, really. But I think, you know, for now, we can't grumble. You know, it's an important position of the pitch, and we've got, you know, two decent players scrapping it out there so that that can only be a good thing worth noting only 18 months ago left back was our problem position 18 months ago we didn't even have one left back now we've got two that are really two of the top in the two of the top left backs in the premier league i mean you know when people are talking about a north south team suddenly robertson's most people's first choice for for a north south team and that's including man city and man united so suddenly there are only i mean how many left backs could you say in the premier league that are right now that are better than robertson marcus alonso it's about it, really, isn't it? Like, I can't think of any others that jump out as being significantly steps ahead of, of Robbo. Um, yeah, I think it's a really, really good position for us to be in where we've gone from having realistic... We, I mean, in, in, in the summer, left-back was a real, real problem position. has been a problem position for a while, and now suddenly we've got a, an absolute steal at 8 million quid who's coming in and being one of the best left-backs in the league. And Moreno's not exactly a bad backup either. I mean, we're doing, we're doing really, really well in that position. Um I think the key stat for me in terms of why Robertson is likely to stay in the team for the moment is just what is just that that XA per 90 stat. You look at the in terms of creativity there and it's it's not just the amount of creativity. It's the quality of the chances, because as 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 was pointed out in the article, if you look at in terms of key passes, if you look at in terms of the, the number of chances that Robertson and Moreno occur creating, it's almost identical. But then if you look at the quality of chances Robertson's got got an XA that's four times higher. So Rob, the chant, the quality of chance that Robertson's creating is significantly higher. And I think that is to do with the fact that we talk about, I mean, you talked about how he doesn't, he's not crossing quite as much, which is a good sign because it means he's clearly learning. But when he does put a good ball in, it's a good ball in. And it's the sort of chances where if someone makes contact, you're looking at a 0.7 XG, you know, an almost a guaranteed goal because of the quality of the ball that's going in. Whereas Moreno tends to play shorter passes in and around that area, he doesn't tend to whip it in as much, which isn't necessarily a blot on Moreno, but it does mean that when Robertson creates chances, they are going to be inevitably of a higher quality. I think another really, really important and interesting thing that you said, Ash, is that talking about how Klopp doesn't like to drop players as such. And we saw that quite a lot last season with the midfield, where Wijnaldum and Chan were basically fighting for one spot and it was whoever was the fittest ended up playing. So we quite often see whereby a player would start three or four games then he'd pick up a niggle and then it would be hard for the next player to come in to get displaced. And we're seeing that at right back as well at the moment. I mean, Gomez played for a long, long time as the first choice right back in the side. Now we're seeing Trent get a run with Gomez picking up that injury. And Trent doesn't look like he's going to be dropped anytime soon either now because because um, he's playing played himself into this into this 11. So it's really interesting to see. It will be really interesting to see how the left back situation develops over the rest of the season because it's very, very plausible that we end up selling Moreno in the summer if he's not first choice by the end of the season, because realistically, I can't see a player of Moreno's, Moreno's quality being happy being a second choice left back. If if Robertson continues to develop as he does, I mean, I know, Joe, you say in the article, he's not there yet as our first choice, but if he continues to put in performances anywhere near how he played against West Ham, if he continues to develop, continues to mould into the side, he's going to be a nailed on starter by the, by the end of the season. So it'll be really interesting to see how that situation develops in the summer. Yeah. And I think just honing in on that utilisation of the ball and the link-up play stats that you use, Joseph, having 
uh, 3% of his take-ons, which is better than Robertson's 50%. But his use of the ball and his actual decision-making in the final third is second to the Scotsman. So do you think that's sort of important with the way that this, um, you know, the the aura, uh, the era of the um, fullback has changed? It's become much more about bombing down the wing, adding that uh, attacking performance as well as the defensive contribution, which is obviously his his primary purpose but Moreno he, he's somewhat of a loose cannon and there is that sort of idea of maybe Robertson adding more balance I know Redmen TV did a brilliant um, statistical segment don't know if you, you've seen it but about the overall balance that Robertson and um, Alexander Arnold brought against West Ham and they were basically mirroring each other with their movement and their touches whereas Moreno yes he adds that attacking flair down the left hand side but it, it's sort of in a loose cannon kind of way and it sort of feels a bit less balanced um, you may disagree with me on that one, but I'll, I'll let you say your thoughts. No, I definitely agree that when uh, when sort of Rob Robertson played instead of Moreno, you definitely think there's sort of a lot more structure to the team, and you sort of think there's going to be sort of a lot more lot, lot more link-up play. I think I think Moreno's problem is perhaps that his style is sort of as we mentioned a bit sort of loose cannon, and that he will he will bomb on bomb on as much as as much as Robertson, but perhaps sometimes he just sort of gets his head down, bombs on, and then thinks about what he's going to do with the ball. The ball second, and sort of he gets in some really good positions, but because he hasn't thought about it, he takes that sort of extra half second, and then the defence can get back in time, and so he's not quite as effective. Whereas Robertson, as we've discussed, perhaps a bit more intelligent, thinks about what he's going to do, do with 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 the ball while while he's actually sort of in possession of it, and then it means that he can he can make the right pass at the right time, sort of giving the defence very little very little time, and sort of. Awareness about when it when he's going to do when he when he's going to do things, and I think that's sort of backed up by the statistics. We've said that he's got uh, almost four times the amount of expected expected assist and uh, Moreno, and that's just because I think he simply he simply just just thinks about the game, think the game a bit more better, and it become it's just uh, a lot more natural to him. I think the big sort of the big test for Robertson is going to be we haven't really seen him up against a real top level elite level winger. Uh, obviously, we've seen we've seen Moreno do it occasionally. He was very good at the start of the season against Hazard, and Robertson was equally as impressive against Balassi, who's a very dangerous winger. But if we do want Robertson or one of our left backs to become sort of a long-term solution, then being effective in the Premier League isn't going to be good enough. We're sort of we're going to be a club club and the clock over the next couple of years, who are hopefully going to not only be challenging for the Premier League title but the Champions League. So it'll be interesting to see how we're how Robertson's game, I think in an attacking sense, it'll be fine. There's perhaps a few question marks still, maybe in 1v1 against real top-level level wingers like like your Kingsley Comans, like your Douglas Costas, like your Messi's, like your Kylian Mbappe's, that maybe still got a bit, bit more developing to do. So it'll be interesting if we can progress to the latter stages of the Champions League to see how he develops and to see how his, how his defensive game really stacks up in that sense. But definitely the, the early signs are very positive. Yeah, and, and looking specifically at the defensive side of their games then, Ash, they, they do have very different defensive styles, as Joseph points out in the article. Moreno, he, he jumps in and he's very aggressive in his tackling. And he has this weird type of style of tackling, I've noticed, where he sort of basically hooks himself around the opponent in the weirdest possible angle. He somehow <laughs> gets the ball. I mean, we've seen he, he's given away penalties and stuff before, but he he sort of jumps in and he hooks himself around and then there's Robertson who's a lot more defensive and, and disciplined he sits off he bides his time and he waits does that not maybe put Robertson in a better place 
um, in terms of these big Champions League games that Joseph talk, talks about. If he's up against those world-class players, you know, he, he's not going to dive in and then suddenly they've got acres of space in behind to run into. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Certainly, I mean, you know, you get different people with their different views on on these two players. But I, as I said earlier, I do get the sense that um, I, I just feel a lot more reassured seeing Robertson in the, uh, you know playing in that position. Um, not to say that Moreno doesn't have his uh, skills because, like you say, some of, some of his um, recovery tackling is superb. You know, when he gets some of those last ditch slide tackles, he's he's kind of as good as anyone I've seen actually doing that. But um, it's 50-50 stuff, really, and I think, for me, Robertson just plays the percentages better. Um, he knows when to when to go in, when to stand off, um, and he's still improving, and I think that, that can only be a good thing, and I think it's really good that he's going to get the opportunity now to uh, play, you know, in the Champions League. We, you know, we're going to play, no doubt, a, a very good side in the next round once we, you know, we, we deal with Porto next week. Um and I think that that's just all going to add to this, you know, his toolkit, you know, just knowing how to approach different match scenarios. Um, but no, he's he's he's, he's doing well, and uh, you know, he's a good good solid Scottish international, so he's got a bit of a pedigree there. Um, Scotland aren't the strongest team, obviously, but you know, he's an experienced international player. I think it's fair to say, um, and I think he, you know, he shows that that kind of composure and game management at times, which is. Uh, you know, we, we've been lacking at times in that position. So, yeah, very, very encouraging signs for me. Tom, do, do you agree? I, I realise I've been pretty, you know, Robertson orientated about the whole thing. And it is important to note that, that Moreno's early season form was so good. Um, and it, it's easy to forget that because Robertson has been so good in recent weeks. But he did show a lot more maturity when he was on the pitch. He progressed a lot and he seemed to have really taken on board what Klopp was saying. Um, for you, is it a case of, you know, Robertson is doing so well at the moment, you can't really see Klopp changing it up, even if there's a big crunch tie in the Champions League where Moreno maybe has more experience? The way I would see it is that right now, Robertson's playing out of his skin. And in my opinion, a player who's in the form that Robertson's in, showing a clear progression like he is, just is basically undroppable. And I know a lot of people want to see Moreno play. But I don't think Moreno, I think, I think, A, I think if you were directly comparing Robertson and Moreno's form, I think arguably Robertson's probably been better over the course of the season anyway. But even then, I think since Robertson's been in the team, he's not done anyone near enough to deserve being dropped at the moment. The simple truth is it's his, it's his shirt to lose. He's the one who's in the left back spot at the moment. He is the one who's going to either have to get injured or get dropped by playing, by by not playing well enough. And at the moment, I don't see either of those things happening. I think, I think Moreno's a good player, but I don't think he was necessarily playing significantly better at the start of the season than he was, than he has been. I think he's been good, but I don't think he's been sensational. I think part of the thing is, I think the perception is starting to shift to him because I think the people are starting to come to realise his position in the team a little bit more. So I think he's getting a lot more leniency, rightfully getting a lot more leniency for some of the things that we was get he was get he has been getting crucified for. I think people are kind of realizing his role in the team is a bit different to what they thought it was. So I don't know. I mean, I think I think right now Robertson is the, is playing like the best left back at the club. I can I can definitely see scenarios where Moreno gets back in the team, but for now you've got to be looking at Robertson and saying, for me, it's all about Robertson, his progression, his form. He is the one at the moment who has that shirt and he's the one at the moment who doesn't look like losing it anytime soon. 
Joseph, I know that sort of goes against your um, article in terms of your conclusion where you say that Robertson is first choice for the moment. Um, but, you know, looking at him as the first choice permanently would perhaps be a bit premature. Um, sort of what's your counter argument to Tom's point there? Because I would probably agree with Tom and I'd say that given it's been such a problematic position for us at the moment for so many years to see someone do so well in that position and really make it their own, you don't drop them. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the uh, what what I sort meant of meant in the article by uh, so sort of not being not being out in that first choice is that although he is is in in the form of his life that he's probably only a couple of games away from maybe a few bad games and because of how well Moreno did at the start of the season then it, Klopp would probably have no problem putting him back in. I think people were sort of very quick to write Moreno off. Now Robertson is in. The form is in life, but the reality is it has only been it has only been the short short period of time where he has been very good. So to to completely write Moreno off already would be would be premature, is what I thought. Um, and I, hopefully hopefully Rob Robertson does continue his brilliant form. Well, when you've got a left back playing playing the best football of his career, then why would any football fan want anything different? But I think because we haven't seen him consistently do it in a Liverpool shirt over a long period of time, then we don't know how he's how he's going to react to maybe having a bad game against someone like a PSG or a Barcelona and how how that will affect him. So I think that's where I was coming from coming from with that. But yeah. certainly in the short term, I can't see I can't see Klopp Klopp dropping him anytime soon. I think he'll start against Newcastle. I think he'll start against Manchester United. I think Moreno might get a, might get a uh, run out against Porto, which would probably be right considering the position we're in in that game. But certainly for the for the sort of short term, I can't I can't see Klopp not not choosing Moreno as his sort of first choice. Yeah, and it is important to note that sort of test of maturity and how you bounce back from a bad performance. He's not really had that yet, um, so that would be interesting to see. the The question I'd pose to to you guys then would be I, I think I know Joseph's answer based on what you just said there. But um, Ash, I'll start with you. Would you? It, Hypothetically, Robertson continues his brilliant form um, as he is at the moment till the end of the season and, and Liverpool sort of have that that player clamped down for a position that's been such a problem. Would you go and sell Moreno and, and look to progress, you know, one of the youth players or has Moreno still got a role to play regardless of whether Robertson continues his, his form beyond the end of this season? Yeah, interesting question, Leanne. Um, I, I don't personally think Moreno will be itching to leave, you know. Even last season, he wasn't even on the subs bench, was he? Um, and he was quite happy to kind of, you know, behind the scenes work on his game and do whatever he was doing. Uh, but I think he seems to love the club to me. And um, I think unless a really good offer comes in, I can see him maybe just, just you know, uh, competing with uh, Robertson for that left back role and just seeing it as a challenge. When he has, you know, he did respond, to be fair. Um, so he's, you know, he's certainly a good backup to have and you wouldn't look to sell him actively unless he's, he's willing to go. Um, just, just, just a quick one on Albi really. Um, um, I think his expected assists, um, compares poorly, uh, with Robertson. I think a lot of that might be to do also with the fact that the team was struggling a bit, uh, when, uh, when Moreno was playing earlier in the season. You know, we were dominating a lot of games, good XG, you know, Winning games 2 0 on XG, but weren't taking our chances. And I wonder if his, you know, his underlying performance was quite good, but just because the team wasn't scoring, you know, his, his stats suffer. 
And I think Robertson's been quite lucky in, in some ways that he's come into the team when it's um, really firing on all cylinders. And he's obviously played his part in that, but the team's really got into its groove. And I think maybe that's why where he's benefiting. Everyone knows their position's a bit better. The Fab 3 are clicking, you know, really well. Um, but no, I think as Tom said, really, um, keep Robertson there. It's his position to lose. Moreno's a more than adequate backup based on what we've seen already this season. Uh, and so unless he wants to go, I don't see any reason why, you know, we don't stick with Robertson as number one. Moreno challenging him. You know, Robertson loses form. Moreno comes back in. You know, that's, that's what you want. You want competition across the squad. And, you know, left back sorted for me, really, for now. Yeah, I mean, a um, couple of things there. I uh, I 100% agree. I personally wouldn't sell Moreno at the moment, just because I think we've got two really good left backs now. Why would we get rid of one of them? The reason I think we might sell him is just because the club have been, for some reason, the club have still been sniffing around left backs. And the fact that we've been linked with quite a few left backs, obviously Ryan Sessegnon's a really talented youngster. I know we were linked with Emerson Palmieri before he we went to Chelsea. So we've been linked with a few left backs, despite the fact we've signed Robertson. So that, to me suggests that we're clearly still interested in looking for one. Um, so that's f- for me on that one. What I would say, Ash, is I don't agree with you that I think um, Robertson's been lucky in being in the team playing the way it is. Because apart from the West Ham game, where obviously RXA was, RXG sorry, was the highest it's been all season, and Robertson obviously contributed 1.15 XA, which is insanely high, um, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to suggest our underlying stats have actually been that much better. It's just that we've ended up scoring more goals. If you, I mean, if you look at some of the games like Burnley, like Newcastle, like Spartak Moscow, um, those sorts of games where we ended up drawing one all, our XG in those games is still up about two. So it's like, you know, it's still more than high enough to suggest that if Moreno was in good neck, he'd be getting assists. So I don't think, I just think it's more a stylistic thing. I don't think Moreno is that sort of, Attack. I, I, I said, I've said this before. I don't think Arena's Moreno's atta- that good an attacking fullback. I know a lot of people do seem to think he is, but I really don't think he's that good an attacking fullback. I think he just gets in the right positions. I don't think his end game is that. I, I don't know this is something Joe mentioned last time, but I just don't think his end product's that good. I really, for me, it's that simple. And that, and that might sound harsh, but I really think it's just that simple. Uh, and Joseph, I'll let you have the final word before we wrap up here. So, you know, uh, same question to you. If Robertson continues as he's going. Um, which we all hope he does by the sounds of it because he, he's been so brilliant um, this season. Moreno, stay or go, the player, would he would he be happy to be second choice and to sort of not be on the bench? And you know, with, with the Champions League, obviously he wants to be playing. Could he potentially be looking to go back to Sevilla? Yeah, I think it's an interesting... I think from a Liverpool point of view and Klopp's point of view, if, if Moreno sort of... He's still he's still working hard in training and showing signs of development. Why would you sell him? Um, and if he does come into the team and does perform well when he gets his opportunities, like we saw at the start of the season, then I don't see any reason reason to sell him. But if perhaps Klopp thinks he's taken his eye off the ball and sort of gone back into old habits, then I could you could sort of see see Klopp, Klopp moving him on. So I think it all depends on how how Klopp sees it and how Moreno performs in training uh, as to whether. Whether they decide to sell him or not. As for Moreno, I think too far. I think Moreno. I tend to agree with Ash. I think Moreno would be quite happy um, if he's playing. I don't know, twenty games a season. If we can be successful, sort of over over all four competitions the next season, then he should be able to get some good amount of game time. He seems to like like the environment he's in. He's got 
sort of a few close friends by the looks of it. Lots of lots of Firmino. Uh, then I, I could see him being quite happy being if we're a successful team next season and the season well. Then I can see him. I can see him being quite happy at Liverpool and sort of being a being a second choice left back, knowing that if Moran, if Robertson does drop form uh, and he does continue to perform well, then there's every chance he could play himself back into back into Klopp's, Klopp's first choice. Okay. Uh, we'll wrap up there. I'll go, I'll go to uh, Ash first. Ash, have you got anything to plug? Nothing to plug at the moment, Leanne. Um, be writing in in a week or so. Um, but now I just just again encourage people to check out AI Pro. You know, lots of quality content on there and ever ever changing, ever improving. So you know, please please do check it out. Yeah, definitely. The uh, I think the most recent Media Matters. Uh, had two female guests on and that was really interesting just from a you know a girl's point of view about football um joseph have you got anything you want to plug um i'm sort of looking into doing a uh, article comparing robertson to other left backs in in the league i sort of briefly briefly did it uh as i was doing a bit of preparation work for the article i wrote but i thought there was so much content that i could i could use in this uh robertson moreno article that i decided to leave it out because i thought it deserved Deserved its own uh, own article, so it'll be interesting uh, to see how Robertson fares to some of the sort of top left backs in the league this season. The likes of Ben Davis, Bertrand is always viewed as quite a good left back. Then obviously you've got the wing backs of Alonso and uh, Kalazanak at uh, Arsenal, so be, I think that'll be quite an interesting article to uh, write, and I think I'm sure people will be interested in reading it too. Yeah, definitely, and and sort of that will help, I guess, with the idea of whether he's able to or going to be able to deal with these high-quality players um, in the potential games to come in the Champions League. Um, Tom, anything from you? Uh, yeah, I've got an article out at the moment on how this Liverpool team at the moment is quickly becoming more than just Firmino, Salah and Mane, um, how it's a team that really, in the wake of a really, really impressive team performance against West Ham, and obviously Porto is starting to look like a team of individuals who are all performing somewhere near their top level, which can only be a good thing for us moving forward. Other than that, yeah, just keep listening to this pod. I mean, as I say every week, you me put a lot of work into it, so we really appreciate everyone who listens. Yeah, definitely. And we've had two brilliant guests today, two brilliant articles, so if you haven't read them, definitely check them out. Um, I'll be doing a piece later on in the week. I'm not sure about what yet, because there's so much to write about, because the Reds are dead good at the moment. Um, aside from that, yeah, just keep listening to the show. Thank you very much, Joseph and Ash, for joining us. And uh, please keep listening. We'll see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.